Hello, and thank you for joining me with episode five of the season two of the Life After Love Gone Wrong podcast. My name is Sandra Fava. I'm a partner in the family law practice of Fox Rothschild. I practice in our Marstown, New Jersey office, but cover and handle matters throughout the state of New Jersey. For those of you who have been listening along to this season, you may have already heard me say this, but this season was inspired by Adele's 30 album. And today, can I get it? We're going to talk about what is discovery and why is it necessary? A lot of times I'm having conversations with clients and I'm using legal terms and I forget, not intentionally, that many of the clients I work with may not be attorneys, may never have had an experience through the courts or the legal system prior to this moment. And so they're not as familiar with the jargon that I'm using as I am, even though they may be true fans of uh, CSI or some of those other television shows. Discovery is really what it sounds like. It is the exchange of information between parties in a legal action that allows information to be shared so that there is transparency and so that there can be discovered any issue that may be applicable to the legal matter at hand. So for me and my clients in the matter of a marital dissolution, a divorce, a prenuptial agreement, preparing for the worst case in a marriage, a post-divorce application, whether that's a modification of child support or alimony or a college contribution case, any of those issues, discovery or the exchange of information is really important. Now, if both parties have access to the world of information that we're talking about, certainly that makes life easier. There isn't a concern about someone having an upper hand or concealing information, but sometimes that's simply not the case. And so attorneys who work in, in these types of matters, legal matters, will ask questions of the other party. Discovery can take several different forms. There's written discovery where an attorney will serve or pre present to the other party either through their counsel or to them directly, if they're self-represented, questions. Questions can vary in length and scope and type. For divorce actions, they are likely to focus on the scope of the party's marriage, their income, employment, financial issues, including their assets, how they were acquired, when they were acquired, what was done with them during the course of a marriage. Same with debts, um, any business interests that they own, even in part, not just entirely, any future inheritances that they may receive, or if they're currently a beneficiary of a trust of some sort that may provide um, some benefit to them, that needs to be disclosed. There are questions, if needed, about child care responsibilities, child rearing issues, um, substance abuse, other health issues that may be relevant both to a custody dispute 
or a an alimony or child support issue, figuring out, you know, incomes, if someone's not working, why would it be reasonable to impute or to place an income on them, even though they are not actually working? Um, because going forward, they will have a different shift in their financial responsibilities towards their families. If they're going to be imputed in income, what is that going to be based on? Historical earnings, even uh, prior to their marriage, perhaps their level of education, any skills or hobbies that they take part in. So there's, uh, you know, a wide variety of issues that are requested in writing, especially in matrimonial matters. If you have a post-divorce issue where you're talking about written questions, those will be focused largely to the issue at hand, um, specifically if there's going to be a change in uh, a custodial arrangement or a financial arrangement. And those have to be done with permission of the court. So, for example, if you are currently divorcing, under the court rules, you have a right to simply serve these written questions um, and other types of discovery. However, once the divorce action is finalized, if you are returning to court on any of those issues, as I mentioned earlier, like change in circumstance with regard to a custodial situation or a financial obligation, discovery can only be obtained with permission of the court. So a, an attorney or the attorneys involved have to agree or an attorney has to request permission from the court and the court has to grant that. So those are the types of written discovery that you will also find questions in various forms, questions for documentation that can be provided. If counsel feels like it's relevant or if there is some obstruction of obtaining information, there is the ability once a divorce action is pending in the courts to serve subpoenas to various institutions. It is an added expense for litigants, but sometimes a very necessary and needed expense uh, because the information that can be obtained through the subpoena may be invaluable to an issue or several issues in a case. And compared to the cost, it, it may be a completely reasonable undertaking. Other types of discovery that are used in divorces are depositions. People have the right to depose both the parties to an action, so the spouses in an action, in a pending divorce, they may want to take the deposition of an expert who has been obtained by an opposing party, whether financial or again with relation to a custody or a substance abuse issue or real estate valuation, any of those things. There may be a witness that is key to an issue, um, whether it's an issue about, again, custody or a substance abuse issue or an issue of domestic abuse that may be relevant. You may want to depose them or somebody who has a financial relationship or benefit in, in a matter may be necessary to take their deposition. So what is a deposition? And I guess, why is it important? Depositions are performed with the same formality as testifying in an open courtroom, except that they happen outside of a courtroom. They generally happen at an attorney's office. They can sometimes happen in a room at the courthouse if needed. Since COVID, depositions have been happening virtually over platforms like Zoom and Teams. They are usually transcribed 
um, which means that there is a court reporter there who is typing a transcript verbatim the things that have been said so that parties and their attorneys and an expert can reference back and read and have that information. It is done under oath. So at the beginning of a deposition, parties will be sworn in or the person testifying will be sworn in um, and given the explanation that this is with the same solemnity as if you were testifying before a judge. And it allows everyone, counsel and the parties to kind of flush out issues. If there is written question and answer provided that may not be helpful or may be confusing, a deposition can certainly help to flush out that issue. If an expert has rendered a report in which a party disagrees with, you would be able to figure out and get them on the record testifying as to why they object or disagree with that expert opinion. And it allows counsel to really understand the case from the opposing party's perspective, which could be valuable, which is valuable, I would say, in a manner that is really contested, likely to go to a trial. Because you have to remember that at trial, your attorney is asking questions to help establish the issues and the positions that you have taken. And there is an adage that says, you know, you never want to ask a question as an attorney that you don't know the answer to, because you may be surprised as an attorney as to what that answer is, and then be kind of caught or left there trying to navigate in an unexpected situation. So these, some of these discovery tools will happen regardless. Some of them are certainly they add to the expense of anybody's action, you know, divorce action in particular. And so it may be a, let's try to work things out and see where we are and then take a deposition. There are other times where a deposition may be taken earlier on in a case for a strategic reason. And that is something that any attorney you work with should explain to you the benefit um, and allow you to do a cost benefit analysis as to doing that. But that is another tool in discovery that people use. My last episode this season discussed the case information statement. That is a required part of discovery, the exchange of that information to allow everybody to understand the financial world upon which people are operating. Discovery also requires and allows people to provide evidence that they may uh, rely upon in front of a judge at a final trial or at an arbitration or even in mediation. There may be a document that is very telling on a certain issue or a recording that happened or a photo that's really important or a text message or whatever it is. And if you don't provide that in advance, you could be precluded from using that evidence during a final hearing in which issues are going to be decided by a judge. So, you know, it's important to be thorough. There is the opportunity throughout a case to update your discovery. Um, so as new information is disclosed or revealed or discovered, that information should be provided to the other side or any expert that's involved um, so that there is this open exchange of information. Does it always happen? 
Uh, no, there are times, especially in family court where, uh, for one reason or another, that doesn't happen. And a judge is left to determine whether or not that piece of discovery or perhaps evidence will be allowed to be considered. But discovery in its broad sense, and I've broken it down to a few of the pieces that are most commonly used in family courts is really an important part of the process to get information. And especially if you are a party who does not have all of that information, right? If you have not been the person managing the finances or managing the children's schedules or doctor's appointments, it, it would be really important for you to know some of those nuances that are going to be relevant to final issue resolution, right? Custody, alimony, child support, allocation of the assets, allocation of debt that may exist. So discovery is a really important tool during a divorce process. And as I said earlier, if you are coming back on an issue after your divorce has been finalized, and the issue is either a modification of a custody related issue or any financial issue, discovery can happen with the permission of the court. And so it might be important depending on how much time has passed or what the specific issues and questions are that you have that information. Other forms of discovery are experts, you know, just the retaining and use of an expert, whether it be a forensic accountant whom was a guest on one of my episodes last season in this podcast to talk about what they do with regard to determining either the value of a business, the cash flow of uh, a spouse, the tracing of an asset, if there's some belief that an asset was inappropriately transferred or, or dissipated, or if it was inherited and they're trying to prove that that asset is separate and exempt from the marital estate, we use forensic accounting experts. We also use child forensic psychologists to help with issues of custody and parenting time, you know, ranging from the stem of whether or not a parent should have access to the child, what type of access there should be, how frequent, what is best for that particular child or children based on that child's needs and the family dynamics. There are experts related to the value of nearly anything and everything, real estate, commercial real estate, jewelry, handbags, collectible cars, antiques, artwork, baseball card collections, Disney memorabilia. I'm trying to think of a few that I've had in, you know, in the course of, of my practice to help put value on things. Certainly stamp collections, coin collections, all of those types of things. An emerging area that we're seeing is cryptocurrencies and NFTs and determining, you know, how those assets, given how they differ to the traditional forms of investment and currency that we've all been used to, how they play a role in um, the division of a marital estate or how funds are moved or transferred or utilized for a family. And we also have substance abuse experts, you know, experts who determine whether or not a party may have an issue with any type of substance, quite frankly. We use forensic psychiatrists to determine if there is a mental health issue that needs to be addressed um, and how the best way to address that issue is. So depending on the facts of each individual case, 
these are some of the thing types of discovery that your attorney may be speaking to you about that may be necessary in proving issues in your case. And it's really important that you understand what is being asked of you and why. So if there is a misunderstanding on your behalf, you should be free and welcomed to ask those questions with the attorneys that you're working with so that you can really understand the value and the process that you are committing to. So that's it for today's episode of the Life After Love Gone Wrong podcast. Thank you once again for joining me and I look forward to speaking with you soon. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter, Divorce NJ Law, Instagram at Ask Sandra Fava, or on my Facebook business page, Sandra C. Fava. You can find my bio on the foxrothschild.com website, and I hope all of this is helpful for you. Take care.